Welcome to Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Trent Oliver. Welcome, Trent. So hi, I'm Trent Oliver. I'm the Principal Managing Director of Blue Telescope. Blue Telescope expands the human experience and we create interactive multimedia. And a lot of people say, well, what on earth does that mean? What we do is we create location-based experiences. So if you go into a museum, you know, what are you doing in there that involves all of you? Are you, you know, learning about math? Are you playing, are you creating your own Rubik's cube? Are you um, learning about gun violence? You know, any kind of subject could be our focus, but the idea is that you're doing more than just touching a screen. You're actually, you know, maybe you wave your arms and you become a tree and that shows you what math has to do in nature. But we got our start doing game shows a long time ago, TV game shows, pharmaceutical work. And what's fantastic about pharmaceutical work is that you can't say, here's the pill and it does all this. You need to have a different experience to explain that. And that forced us to become very creative, which was great. And trade shows force you to do it. It, it has to work the first time it goes up. It doesn't get to go up and three weeks later work. It has to work then. It got us thinking about where else we wanted to go. Um, we pride ourselves on being radically creative, but fiscally intelligent. That doesn't mean the cheapest is the best. It means whatever you're doing, invest for the long term, whether it's creating software, a brand experience, the audiovisual, whatever it is needs to last. And when the experience makes sense, it doesn't get old. When it's really organic to what you're talking about, it ages well versus that's cool. Oh, the latest, greatest, coolest thing. So what, what kind of educational requirements do you need to get started with something so cool? Like, you know, somebody's going to college and he's like, oh, wow, I want to do what Trent's doing. Uh, Where did you start? Well, now they actually have all sorts of degrees. You can get a degree in. There's tons of museum-focused degrees. There's also themed entertainment-focused uh, degrees. I was a stage manager, and I stage managed theater because I didn't want to actors made me crazy. So I didn't want to be an actor. So I wanted to boss everybody around. So I became a stage manager. And then it occurred to me, I could be the best. I could be the greatest stage manager in the world. The show could still stink. At which point you either become a producer or director. So I became a producer and then evolved into my own company. And we started 21 years ago. None of this was planned. There's not, <laughs> you know, I went to school for engineering for a while. I did all sorts of things in school. I have had so many different jobs. I'm jack of all trades, master of none, but I'm good at producing and I'm good at owning a company because I let people, people need to own what they're doing and feel proud and hire really radically creative people who, who really want to do the work. Uh, we're lucky to do it. Um, Everybody in my family, you had a job, you didn't have a career, and you didn't like your job, you just had to do it because you needed money. Um, I've broken through, I have a career, I think it's fascinating, 
I think it's interesting. I think it's great when we get to do something we've never done before. It's even better when we're doing something we're not sure we could do before. Um, that's fun. Having each day be a new surprise is fun. But we think it's pretty cool too. Very, very cool. <laughs> So did you explore any other fields before you kind of landed oh. here or you kind of led yourself to this point? I I explored all fields. Let's see. I was an O2 tech in a, a hospital. I worked in a framing shop. I worked as a grocery clerk. I worked as a night auditor in a hotel. I did all sorts of things. Then I got, I stage managed a Mattel trade show. Um, it wasn't a trade show. It was a launch of the Popples. I thought I was all that. I was 23. I was a complete idiot. I really didn't know what I was doing. And I had a bad attitude. I thought I was brilliant. But I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I've been doing theater for years. I put together a resume. I went out. I got a job on Raising Arizona. And I turned it down because they didn't have any money. And uh, I did commercials and then I moved to Hollywood and I did commercials. I did a week on a movie. It was awful. Um, I did very large corporate theater events, which was a blast. I mean, I got to have dinner with George Burns. I got to do some, I ended up in New York. I saw somebody make a little car move across a computer screen. This is before the year 2000. And I was like, how did that happen? And how can we make this happen again? I turned down some video producing jobs and got computer-based training job, but I was always freelance. So anything I wanted to learn, I just got a job doing it. Nothing like having to learn it. So you are a true entrepreneur, right? You kind of have your own company. You, you need different types of skill sets for that. You need to know a lot of different things from managing accounts to finance, to even to your point, managing crazy creative people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, it's it's very different. So do you think all of these odd jobs that you did kind of helped you shape who you are and bring you to be in the best possible place to manage this enterprise that's yours now? Absolutely. Nothing like being poor to teach you that you don't want to be poor. It teaches you about money. Um, producing, you have to have just a basic tally in your head of where you are. You know, are you profitable or not profitable? That a lot of times for me is a gut instinct. Um, I can track it all, but really it's a gut instinct. Creative people, you have to, they're a different breed. And you really need to listen and understand what is it that they need. A lot of them are afraid. Some of them are brilliant, but you can't introduce them to other people. Uh, some of them work well together, some don't. You can put two amazing creative people together. I did this once in an edit suite. I put two people I thought were amazing. And within five minutes was like, okay, I need to get them apart and never introduce them to each other again. But when it's, somebody, when it's really creative and everybody feels like they're a part of it, it's very much like theater. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. They go to it. They take pride in it. In improv, they say yes and. Whatever you come up with, just answer yes and. Like, oh, well, let's do audio. Okay, sound effects. Well, what if it were more of a soundtrack? What if it were a little bit of an operatic experience? What if it were just, uh, you know, along a thread that any sound effect you added 
added to that operatic effect and made you feel completely immersed. So, you know, it's how far can you take it with creative people of just adding to it? You, you mentioned you moved quite a bit, right? So from Phoenix to California, Los Angeles to, you know, you ended up in New York. So yeah. there was a lot of uh, mobility, right, that you had. Do you think it factored into you being successful? In the beginning, it was a detriment because I couldn't stay still. My dad was Air Force. He was in the nuclear program and I moved at least every two years. I went to 13 schools before college, two schools I went to for a week each. And I wasn't, you know, some kids who grow up like that, they're real social butterflies. They get along anywhere. I wasn't that kid. I was the kid that said, nope, never mind. I'll just read my book. I got very used to just going my own way. If I thought it was a good idea, I would just go do it. I didn't ask if somebody else wanted to come or if they thought it was a good idea, I would just go do it. That was huge. And the idea that most people are awfully similar. We're so right now in our world, it's like, oh, they're the other and they don't believe what I believe. And truthfully, almost everybody worldwide wants the same things. We want to be good. We want to be kind. We want friends. We want family, decent food, a roof over our heads. People aren't so different. So working with different people becomes easier and more interesting. And it's fun when you get to the point where you're actually having a conversation that's person to person instead of client to vendor or, you know, whatever the construct is. Um, now, I think having moved a lot is really useful for me. I thrive in chaos. Owning your own business quite often is a bit of chaos. And the classic entrepreneur, the one that can't really spell, maybe has a learning disability, all of that. That's probably me. I am not happy with a lot of the work I do. So I hire people who are really good at the work they do. And they do the stuff I can't do. I'm great at talking. I'm great at ideas. And I make sure things happen. If we say we're going to do it, we do it. You can't halfway do it. How do you decide when to hire somebody? <laughs> that's another big decision because a headcount in a small company is a big deal. So at what point yeah. do you decide, okay, this is not for me. I need to actually get somebody else to do it for me. When it's so painful, you can't do it again and you have enough money. You really, the whole idea, I don't know that I've got this down, but hire slowly, fire quickly. If you have an idea you need to fire somebody, you probably should have done it a long time ago. By the time you let them go, you'll discover that, you know, most people they're not trying to be fired. They just aren't a good fit and let, set them free to go be a good fit somewhere else. But if you need to hire, you know, it just, it hits a fevered point of like, I need this person. I need this person now. I have the job for it. I have, you know, like, oh, I know this job will cover them for a year or something like that. And, and when you just can't do it, do without them. That's the only time for a small company I mean, it's not like we have huge angel investors and we go out and just gather everybody together. We actually need to be profitable and pay our people. So one thing when we start hiring, right, even applying for jobs, it's it's so common. It commonly comes up. Oh. Women look at the job description and unless they're like 80 person there, they don't they even don't. think about apply. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. we, we had talked a little bit about this 
because men look more at the transferable skills. I don't think they even talk, look at the transferable skills. They look and go, oh, I'm that, I'm that good. (laughs) And that's fantastic. They've been taught that to think that way of themselves. And I see so many women who don't think that way. They're like, oh no, unless I've done all of this before, I can't say I can do it. And it's like, are you good at learning? Have you done a lot of things very similar? You know, would you be an asset? Would you really help that organization and jump in? I don't know why, but it is. And I did the same thing. There were so many times I didn't jump ahead and say, hey, I'm right for that. And I saw other people do it. And I knew that I was better than they were, but they were better at believing in themselves. And we need to get better at that as women and also willing to take risks. I belong to a lot of business groups. I see a lot of men who are like, yeah, I'm going to, this is my company and then I'm going to be Google and I'm going to sell at this rate and, you know, I'm out. And a lot of women are like, no, no, no. I take total care of every client that comes in and I do all their work. Both are extremes and neither one really work. If you're like completely divorced and like here, you know, here's my fantastic company, just pay me lots of money and I'm out of here. And there's no personal responsibility. You're not going to grow anything fantastic usually. And if you are touching every single client and doing all of the work, you're guaranteeing that you're a solopreneur. You will never be able to grow. Maybe you have a couple assistants, but it can't grow beyond you. If you're a good business owner, you're able to create great teams that can go forward. You've got the right culture, the personal responsibility. You're not having to do everything because it'll make you crazy. I strongly believe if you're a perfectionist, more than likely you should never own a business. Do you see any repeated themes where you see women making similar mistakes? You know, you kind of mentioned a few. Are there any others? Definitely mentoring. Whatever you want to know, you don't necessarily have to hire. There are a lot of organizations out there willing to train you, willing to teach you. Go find the person who does whatever you want to know and they're the best at it. Ask them for advice more than likely, they will be thrilled. They want to give advice. And the higher up you go, the better the advice is. Strive to go beyond what you see. If it's comfortable, maybe that's not a good thing. It's hard to do it, especially so often we're raised in school. You're supposed to do this, 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 you know, then you go to college and you keep trotting along. You you tick off the boxes and you're supposed to be hugely successful. And the world doesn't really work like that. You got to skin your knee. You're going to fail. Everybody fails. Fail fast, get up, keep going. Know how to save yourself. Have a plan A, B, C, and D. Why theater was such a good experience is you know in theater, there will be a failure and you will be live in front of an audience. How are you going to handle it? And you have to handle it and keep going. You can't stop and have an argument about who did what. You have to keep going because you're in the middle of a live show. And at the end, you don't want to go, no, no, no. Why did you do that? You want to go, okay, this happened. How do we prevent this from happening again? Knowing the next mistake will be a different one. You'll always have mistakes. They'll just be different. We have to embrace that, that we're we're going to screw up. It happens. But get back up and keep going. And don't always assume that, 
that little voice in your head that tells you you're not quite good enough, or maybe a voice that is outside your head telling you not good enough. Maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Did you have any naysayers along the way since we're talking about these? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Nobody believed, everybody thought I was crazy. You know, my parents thought I was nuts. They're like, oh, my dad was like, when are you going to stop this show, you know, dream stuff? And I said, it's called show business because it's a business, dad. And he was telling me that I owned a company over a decade and he was still saying that. He just couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't see it. In their lives, this made no sense. From where I came from, you don't get a job producing. You don't get a job writing or designing. That's, you know, that's fantasy land. You have to, you know, study in school. People are either doctors, lawyers, or grocery clerks, or they join the military. And I was like, look, I tried being a grocery clerk. <laughs> I almost starved. It wasn't till I was in theater and film and interactive that I did fine because I knew I knew what I was doing or I would figure it out and learn. A lot of people will tell you how wrong you are. A lot of people will come, I don't know, you know, you should go out of business. Oh, look, sell to us. We'll pay you, you know, this amount. You won't have to worry your little head about it. Know your numbers. So you know whether you're going to stay in business or not and then go your own way. Any role models growing up? Growing up, I read. I read constantly. I read a lot of books. And it was usually the guys because they were the heroes and they were the ones I thought were great. Um, It was only when I got older, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg is remarkable. Gloria Steinem, you know, standing up and saying, this is what I believe when the world is like, we don't care. We don't want to hear from you. That's amazing. Now in this day and age that a lot of people are saying, why aren't women guaranteed equal rights under the constitution? I have so many people that are like, oh, what right do you have? The do you not have? And I'm like, it isn't that. It's could they be taken away? I don't understand why human rights is difficult to understand. All humans, any color, any gender preference, any sexuality, who cares? You're human. You should have human rights. Um, but it is a difficult, a lot of people. And I understand like my parents' generation, they didn't grow up knowing people that were different from them. But once you know a lot of different people, you you know, they're just people. Did you seek out a mentor at any point? I remember when I moved to Los Angeles, I sent out 40 resumes. I knew nobody. Um, and then I called 40 people saying, hey, I'm looking for a job as a production assistant. I got a hold of this one man And he said, hey, I don't work here anymore. Here's who you want to call back and ask to speak to. So I called back. I asked for this guy. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just calling. And he said, come meet me at two. And I went into Hollywood. I met him at two. He sat down. He called all his friends at home till he found me a job. Those sparks happen. They happen when you're working really hard, though. You, you can't not work and get these things. I learned quickly that if I want good advice, go to somebody I think is the very best at what they do and ask them, you know, or even say, look, I want to learn. Can I work for free for a day for you and follow you around? You'll learn more. 
they're not worried about you. The higher up you go, the more they really aren't worried about you. You're not going to take their job. Somebody close to your level, they are worried. You might take their job and just go get an education. Whatever you're doing, whether it's owning a business, it's one of the things that's really hard because you don't know a lot of other business owners. Typically, any business owners you know in your field are competitors. So, well, you're not going to go hang out with them and complain. But you need to talk to fellow business owners about things that are painful. Health insurance is ridiculous. I don't know any businesses that think that we're, as a country, handling uh, health insurance well. It's really a problem. In terms of people, right, networking um, has been extremely important for me. Just getting to know really good people. Like, I know you through my network, right? Thanks to yeah. Jack Devlin. Call Thanks, out. Shout Jack. out to him. Um, now he's, he's incredible. And uh, what role has networking played for you in your life? And how do you think women should use, use it to um, not just succeed in life, but really have those quality interactions and learn from each other? I'm one of the people that will tell you I'm not good at networking. And that's probably not true. I'm not good at when there's a shark fest, you know, everybody's going for the same job and hey, aren't I great? Um, you know, I'm, I'm out. I, I don't do that well. It isn't a good fit. But finding people, talking to them like they're human, getting to know people, that's interesting. One-on-one -on -one is very interesting. Getting to know you has been great. That matters. And it doesn't really matter the level of person. I've met incredible people and friends. People will introduce you to others. It, you know, showing up, being in the right place consistently not being, in my opinion, not being a shark, being actually of use to people, having a useful life. I think that works much better. For me, it works much better. I think leadership really is something you do to serve. You lead because, not because you're an egomaniac or not because you're the only one that can lead. You lead people, it, it relieves stress on everyone. It's like, okay, we're gonna go and we're gonna go gently, but we're always going. We're not going to sit here and think about it. You have to lead. You have to own up to all of it. Have you ever faced a situation where you had to kind of um, tackle the typical perceptions about women where you had to kind of... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, when I was a production assistant in film, you know, that focused the lights on my ass or boobs or something. And it was like, seriously, guys, come on, you know? Uh, it's not like I'm not having to lift and get as dirty and hardworking as all of you. <sighs> There's all sorts of stuff. I, I know female business owners now that have to get their male business partner to send an email because nobody pays attention to them when they do. It has been very helpful in my life being named Trent. A lot of times people don't know if I'm male or female. It's an email and it comes out and I get away I don't have to deal with a lot of misperceptions. Um, but there have been times where there's ridiculous sexual harassment, which is just shocking in this day and age. It can come from vendors. It can come from people you've hired who are like, oh, Trent, Trent, Trent. And it's like, okay, the condescension here is enough. You're not doing your job. To clients who think that there's more that comes with <laughs> the job than you have in mind. And it, it really has nothing to do with your looks. It has nothing to do with your age. 
it's a power play. It's, I don't have to listen to you. And it stinks. It still happens. It happens less. So a lot of women have this challenge, right? Right when your career is taking off, we have families, young families, and we are kind of juggling a lot of this guilt, for lack of a better word, where you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, you need to do right by your family. And of course, this must have been even more pronounced in your case, right? You had your business. It's not just a job. You go nine to five. You actually have to make things move, as you said, slowly, but still keep moving. Yeah. Within two years, I went from being a very confirmed single human in New York City freelancing. I had the only thing that was permanent was I had a very decent uh, rent stabilized apartment with a backyard and a little dog. I could work anywhere. My hair could change colors. I, you know, could date anybody, but nothing had to be consistent. And within two years, I was married in a business partnership with two other men. And I had a daughter and was pregnant with a son. Like I went from uncommitted to totally committed and I and really ready for the loony bin. Um, as soon as I was a parent, I... And I still tell people it's an exercise in futility of learning you cannot finish anything, that you are imperfect. You will never be the perfect mom. You'll never be the perfect wife. You'll never be the perfect business owner. There's always more work to do. It's kind of like reading a magazine that never ends. And I was a freelance person before. So the thing I loved was like, all right, I'm doing this job. And on this date, it ends. I know I'm unemployed as of this date, and then I'm free for the rest of my life. And I never was. I was always working. But I had to get used to, you have to decide I've done enough today. I'm going to walk away now. It's good enough. And just embrace kind of a different life. I got lucky that my husband, although he had ideas of this very gender-specific kind of life, uh, didn't We didn't live that out. He stayed home with the kids a lot. I traveled. I'm really good at working. He's really good at at playing and being crazy with kids and cooking. I I don't really like cooking. Quite often, he'll be cooking. I'll be rewiring the computer systems and stuff. You know, I'll fiddle with that. And we allow each other to be that different person. I also wanted my kids to know that everybody works. It isn't like you're this gender, you do this, you're this gender, you do that. Everybody has to go to work. And that's just true. But I also, even though I didn't make, every now and then I'd drop the kids at school. I rarely got to pick them up if ever. I did, you know, I wasn't the lunchroom. I didn't go into the lunchroom and volunteer. But I could, as the owner of a business, schedule myself out for different field trips or take them with me to California, there's the upside too, that we don't talk about enough. We talk about all the you know crazy downside, but there's also the upside that my kids have been all over the place. They've traveled a lot because that's what we do as a family. We travel, whether it's for work or for fun. So you traveled um, right before COVID. That, that was a very interesting story. <laughs> so do you want to tell us yeah. how did you cope through this whole COVID situation? Oh, well, I was at a, uh, a conference in Chicago and watching CNN and getting very worried, knowing that we shouldn't be at this conference. I came home, it was March 6th. 
I sent an email to everybody who worked for us and said, take your computers, go home, don't come back. So we shut down March 6th, you know, we stayed shut down. And then at a certain point in September, I, there was a lull. I had been trying to fix up my dad's house in Arizona. So it was just enough of a lull. I thought I can get there and get back before it gets bad again. I got there. It took longer Then my son got COVID. He's 17. He was fine. He got a little tired, but I couldn't come home. I'm a severe asthmatic, so I can't get COVID. I ended up in pretty much seven months in Arizona waiting until I got vaccinated. Once I was vaccinated, I came home. I just came home Thursday. I've been home three days and it's great. They're excellent and they've all gone feral and that house is disgusting. And they've moved all sorts of furniture around. I don't know what they're thinking. Clearly they weren't expecting you back so soon. So, okay, so besides all of this joy at home, <laughs> any other sources of joy for you? I used to run and that, well, it was, it was astonishing. I had a friend who asked me to do the dance skin triathlon like in 2009 and I was like, what are you crazy? That's nuts. She's like, what would happen? I said, I'd die. I've never exercised. And then that night, my mother had died two years earlier. My aunt had just died, you know, at 64 and 53, they were dying young. And I signed up and every friend I told that I signed up, they laughed in my face. They were like, you, you can't, you don't do this. Um, you know, I read books, I eat, I lay around and I did it. And I was so shocked. It was so amazing. So I did several sprint triathlons. Then I had another friend who said, let's do a half marathon. And I was like, you're crazy. Signed up. She dragged me around. We did a half marathon. Then another friend said, let's sign up for the New York City Marathon. You know, it's a lottery. We'll never get in. And so that day came and I call all the friends. I'm like, so who got in? Nobody got in except me. I got in and they were like, well, you can postpone. I'm like, I'm not kidding. It's not going to get easier. I'm not going to get younger. So I trained. I've now done the New York City Marathon twice. I've done more half marathons than I can remember. It's in the teens of sprint uh, triathlons. I've been very lazy the last couple of years, but as a, as a kid, I really had very severe asthma and couldn't run. I didn't learn to run until I was an adult and it kind of blew my mind. And it also blew my mind that if you do a little bit every single day and that I keep trying to bring back to my business, you don't say, oh, I'm gonna run a marathon and then next week go run 26 miles. You have to do a little bit every day to work up to it. And that's with anything in life. You have to do a little bit every day and you're gonna get setbacks, but you just, do a little bit every day and show up. That said, I would like to get back to running. I would like to, when a run was great, it was great. And when it was bad, you hated it. Well, I have to say, I love your friends, by the way, for pulling you into all these exciting things. I, I started running really late as well. So I completely understand. And it's not that you have run a marathon once, then you can do it again. Oh, next no. year. You start from scratch every training. Yes. So, so I, I can absolutely relate to that. I signed up for the Ruth Bader Ginsburg 5K. So I'm going to get three miles in. I'm going to learn how to do three miles again. 
it's tragic in 2020 january 1st i sat down and i signed up for all my regulars right my triathlon my yeah. marathon everything and everything got canceled so everything i know i have everything moved out i think to 2022 because that was what everybody said you know just to be safe any mm -hmm. final comments you know people say be true to yourself and yes and no sometimes maybe you are meant to own a business and maybe you're not but whatever that is be happy with it find ways to be happy you you have to it's it's i personally believe i only go around once and this is it so i'm the only person that can make me happy i'm the only person who can, who knows what might work nobody else is responsible for me i might be responsible to make sure other people have food have a roof over their head stuff like that but i can't change how they feel and you know having that pride in whatever you're doing it, it's so good it's hard to find in life and if you have something that you love to do and it makes you proud and want to do more of it go do it if you can if you can make a living at it fantastic and if you can't have fun anyhow no thank you so much for that no well thank you so much for being here as our guest it was such a pleasure thank you i want to stay in touch i want us to go go run <laughs>